0: you it's uh, really fun to be part of this and i don't mean that in a christian sort of speaky sort of way like i actually like you uh a lot and it's really fun to be here and as i said yesterday that there's only so many things we can cover in a couple of short chapel experiences so you all are invited over to my house tonight for a bonfire we'll continue the conversation you just have to find out where my house is but i trust that you like new testament people can be led by the spirit and figure it out um, so if you show up tonight, you're more than welcome. Just uh, don't show up with Hershey's chocolate for the s'mores because that's not actual chocolate. Uh, bring some real aversion and we can keep, thank you, yes, thank you, I know, I know. Um, some weird alkaline processed version that we approximates chocolate at best. But I do really uh, enjoy my time here. It is never hard for me to get up on a Tuesday or Thursday morning, which are my teaching days at Northwestern, and spend the time with you, I have to say that I never planned on being a sex sexpert of any, of any kind. Um, this class kind of fell into my lap about 12 years ago, and it's been a wild journey for me to talk about these subjects. And you have pressed me, rightfully so, when you've been in my class, to say, Kapsner, that uh, doesn't hold up at all. You better go research that stuff a little bit more. And I, I've so appreciated the questions and the conversations uh, with all of you. So it's fun to be here. And Justin, again, thanks for the invitation. Yesterday, if you're here, we tried to outline a bit of the reasons why, if you are confused or feeling fractured or broken in any dimension of your sexuality, it's not because you are stupid and it's not because you are somehow less than Christian. And we had spent quite a bit of time yesterday outlining a lot of the sociological and even Christian church factors that have risen up over these last 60 years in our country that have created all any number of layers of confusion in the conversation. And from that place, what we tried to draw out yesterday was the idea that in all of this confusion, we really only have one identity. And as we're so busy trying to figure out what our identity might be, especially as it relates to conversations and sexuality, it can be helpful to unwed that conversation from our true identity, and that is as a son or a daughter of a king, as an image bearer of God himself. That is our central and our true identity. I'll say a few more things about that as we get started this morning, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it means to form a community that is defined by the kingdom love of God so that we can walk out these things and these difficult questions and fractures and brokenness in a place where we really are authentically for one another and not divided by this. But as it relates to identity, I can say some things this way to maybe sort of get at that idea of unwinding our experience in life from our identity in life. And I can start this way by saying that, so I am not a Vikings fan. Yeah. Well, hang on. I am also not a Packers fan, but that's primarily because that would be inconsistent with my Christianity if I was. So I am not a Vikings fan, but that said, I love the Vikings. I feel passionate about the Vikings. I actually did mist up a little when Stephon Diggs caught the miracle pass last year against the hated New Orleans. Saints. I remember as a kid, and again, if you know, I'm old enough to almost be dead, that when I grew up, I went to games that were outside in the bitter cold. I remember coming home from those games when they played outside. I'm confident that I threw the remote control across the room when Blair Walsh missed that field goal wide left against the Seahawks. (laughs) He did get paid for that. should give it all back. Uh, And my soul sunk, I remember where I was, I was listening to the NFC Championship game in Scotland at 3.45 in the morning, waiting for my 5.30 flight, when Brett Favre threw the interception that cost us the title. (laughs) You have to come over tonight. Oh, alright, so I I have loved deeply, I have grieved deeply. When you say the name Vikings, all sorts of things rise up in me, and yet I am not a Vikings fan. Okay? Likewise, and this will get nice and controversial, um, I am not an American. Now, (laughs) that's not an anti-American statement. I love our country. I'm grateful for the expansive space that we have and the expansive opportunities of our country. I love the freedom that we have compared to so many other countries. This is my home. I was born here. I love America. I really do, but I'm not an American. Likewise, I'm not Scottish either, even though I studied in Scotland and love Scotland, the way of life there, the close-knit communities, the land, the highlands, sitting in pubs like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien used to do and talk about wonderful worlds that could possibly be created. I love the Scottish way of life. I even love the national dish, haggis, which is ground-up sheep organs that's cooked in the lining of the sheep's stomach into a sausage, actually, like that. But I'm not Scottish either, even though when I think about America and Scotland, I have a host of experiences related to them. But my identity is not Vikings fan. My identity is not Scottish or American. Because, you know, if I was born here on the soil some 500 years ago, I wouldn't be American, right? These are transient categories based on existing experience. Likewise, as a male, unlike what I've sometimes read in books when it comes to my sexuality, I am not a sexual hunter. I remember when I first started teaching in these classes that I read a book in which because it was such a common male experience to when confronted with any kind of sexual imagery that a male would be drawn into that imagery or to that person even for just a whisper of a moment the explanation for that was that well here's the deal the identity of a male is that of sexual hunter it's kind of part of the situation and so if you're in a relationship you just need to understand that you're going to be drawn into other women, but what the best thing you can do is to just sort of bounce your eyes and turn away. And I remember sitting in class one day going, hmm, let me think about this for a minute. Uh, and I asked a question of the class and I said, so, and I asked a question of the women in the class in this particular situation, I said, so let me get this straight. You're, uh, uh, you're out with your significant other, maybe your husband or fiance or boyfriend and you're out on a nice romantic dinner date and the food server that night happens to be female and she comes up and she's quite attractive. And the person that you're across from the table from your significant other is drawn in for even just a minute to this person before they turn their eyes back towards you. For how many of you would that be a painful experience? I'd ask the room, right? And and I've asked the room so many times since that moment and all the hands in the room go up. Yeah, that would be painful. I said, let me get this straight then. <clears throat> God actually created the male to be a sexual hunter, and so what's core to the relationship between male and female is actually something that might be painful between the two of them? Does that sound like shalom in God's kingdom? Does that sound like peace and wholeness? Or is there a different explanation that perhaps we become so overly sexualized that and when we just see another being, we're already evaluating them for their sexual potentiality before we even can realize it. Because as a male, I'm not a sexual hunter. That would be an identity statement based on an experience. I'm not a Vikings fan. I'm living in a country that's currently called America that I really love. I also love Scotland. And I sometimes travel as an image-bearing child of God to a country called Scotland. And as an image-bearing child of God, I live in a place currently called America. Um, I do, as a child of God, enjoy watching the Vikings and And as a child-bearing image of God, I can sometimes get confused in that which I'm attracted to that I shouldn't be. Likewise, when we come to all the identity statements that are so confusing and the 140 different ways in which we're trying to identify our sense of gender and sexuality these days, in which is a very new conversation in our country, that we see that we're trying to make identity statements based on our experience so often, and it's very understandable. We're trying to find who we are and whose we are. those statements and christopher yuan is somebody that i really appreciate had a chance to speak with on occasion and he wrote a book i recently released talking about the idea that maybe we should stay away from these categories of somebody being gay or being lesbian or giving identity statements to experiences He talked about being in the gay lifestyle for quite a number of years and the pressures associated within his communities to identify, to make your sexual experience and attractions you may have that are very real and you don't even think about them. It's kind of like when the male is being described as a sexual hunter. You're not thinking about it. You're just experiencing stuff, but making identity statements from that place. Christopher Yuan talks about the idea that we are first and foremost in Christ and image bearers and we need to stay with that identity even though we might be having experiences in the real world that are very different from some of those ideas and so I've given up using the terms like gay and lesbian instead swapping them for people who are image bearers that are same sex attracted or opposite sex attracted because once we get an identity around this it gets really confused really quickly he says This, Christopher Yuan, he says, in reading through the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we get phrases about how we are in Christ. And I developed this in my book about how the concept of sexual orientation or sexuality should not represent who we are, but how we are. If we really think about it, if you ask a person what it means to be gay, it always distills down to desires and attractions and affections related to the direction of our intimacy, to the way we want to be intimate with others. So it's related to our feelings. I strongly believe that our feelings shouldn't be who we are, but they should more accurately describe our experience of how we are. If you've heard that passage in the biblical text, that if you'd beseech the Lord or call upon the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Anybody know that passage? I think sometimes it's been swapped to believe, you know, the desire of my heart is I really want a new car. And so I'm going to put a quarter of faith in God's cosmic vending machine, and he's going to dispense the desire of my heart. (laughs) somehow what the invitation of that passage is is that our very desires for what we care about and what we're attracted to and what is part of our life experience that over time not because god is some genie in a bottle not because we can wave a magic wand not because we can pray the gay way or all of those sorts of things but that over time god does shift the desires of our heart so that they're in alignment with the kingdom in a broken and fallen world where we experience many desires for which we are not meant those desires can be realigned. And so if I told you a story, if I had time, and I wish that I did, I could tell you a story of what freedom looked like from being a sexual hunter. Where engaged in pornography at an early age, that my very eyesight, my very sense of desire began to be shifted and changed by the images on the screen. And because that was true, I was experiencing that sexual hunter kind of thing where you're already seeing people through the lens of sexual potentiality before you even are aware of who they are. And the best that the church was telling me that I could do with that in those moments was get in an accountability group, sort of help control the behavior. So when you're really feeling it someday, just text your buddies and they'll hold you accountable and you can white knuckle your way through this entire thing to to peace. It was never peaceful. I was still enslaved. Even if I wasn't acting out, I was still enslaved because if I looked across the table from the woman that I loved and was already thinking about how I'm already creating And you even begin to see the people that you love through that same lens (laughs) so was there freedom in any of that could my desires be realigned and again if we had time i'd talk about a very long very painful process over the course of five years of becoming real with who i am and what was enslaving me and all of these pieces that just reduced me down to just sort of a, a pile of rubble as god gently began to break me in a lot of different ways and i remember waking up one day and I f- suddenly saw women in this world differently. I remember praying, you know, God, can you help me see the women the way that you see them? Because I bet you don't have to bounce your eyes in the sky. As if God is the champion eye bouncer. Like when he looks at this world, he's like, oh, oh, oh! He's trying to avoid it all. And then he texts the rest of the Trinity to make sure that he doesn't fall into it. <laughs> I have never said that out loud before. <laughs> Super fun. Super fun. Uh, I remember that when those very same images that used to draw me in, for a while, the, my, the, my, my reaction was anger instead of being drawn in. I wanted to sort of nuke the entire porn industry, but I couldn't find the porn industry, and I didn't know how to build a bomb, so those two things sort of stopped that. <laughs> but God began to shift sort of the way that I would see the world. And again, it was a painful, not-one-night-pray-away process. Have you ever prayed really hard for something, and you wake up the next day, and nothing's different, and you're like, God's not real? <laughs> Ooh, did I experience that a lot? But one day after being broken in ways I didn't even need, know that I needed to be broken, because God was more concerned about relationship with him than he was with whatever was going on in my life in that moment, and it took a long time for me to get over the behavior piece of it, to actual relationship with God. To have an undivided heart in some things is a long and painful process. But in those places, I woke up, and now when I see those same images that used to pull me in, they just make me sad. My authentic response. Just like my authentic response and throwing the remote across the room with Blair Walsh, <laughs> my authentic response is that I'm sad. And I don't need internet blockers on my computer. And I don't need accountability groups to manage my behavior. And it's not because I'm so great, it's because I'm so broken. And the son, when he sets somebody free, they are free indeed. And that is real freedom. And so I'm glad I'm not a sexual hunter. I'm glad I'm an image-bearer child of the king. And what I would suggest to you is that in order to the the thing that was most helpful in that process for me was the kind of people that i was with the kind of people who really loved me the kind of people that were there for me in the midst of my fractures and turmoil the people that didn't just cast me aside but i want to be real clear this morning just about what the nature of love is and that it is really the heartbeat of the kingdom i find it really interesting that when i go speak in churches and i get asked to do conferences or I may be being considered to be a prof somewhere or a pastor somewhere you know what question has never been asked of me ever once as they ask for my resumes and my CV and my bona fides and examples of my work and I've never been asked once how well do you love God and how well do you love other people not once and yet Jesus says the very reality of the kingdom hangs on those two things that you probably haven't experienced kingdom community if you haven't experienced love, the love of the kingdom. So central is love to God's personhood. When John says that God is love, he says this, that if you don't know of this love, if you don't know how to love other people the way God loves you, if you've never tasted of that love, you actually don't know God. Which to me is a pretty confrontational statement because I know a lot about God through all the theological propositional truths that I've studied with all my fancy little letters and really cool Hogwarts robes. Can you say how, did I just divide the whole community here by saying something about Harry Potter? Some people are like, can you read that? And other people are like, yes, you just said it. So anyway, we have so many other divisions, let's just add another one into it. (laughs) Justin, you're never gonna ask me to do this again, are you? Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, This is my last shot, so I'm gonna take it, brother never been asked how loving uh, i am never been asked how well i love other people but god is love and where love is there is god and it does not end it expands to all god's love does not discriminate it is for those experiencing same gender attractions for those experiencing opposite gender attractions for those confused for those who have clicked on too many links maybe even as recently as the last six hours god's love is still there shows up very early in the text and pursues Hagar, who had an illicit child with Ishmael and was cast out in the wilderness, felt like she didn't belong and God's love found her. It was when God was made flesh and Jesus, he went into a land that the religiously pious and the religiously elite would never dare to set foot in the land of Samaria and he went to a woman at a well who had five failed marriages and love found its way there to somebody that the religious elite would not be caught dead with. The kingdom of God is filled first and foremost and primarily and maybe only by the realities of love and all of its manifestations i think many of us have been wounded by the kingdom communities i know that is one of the main themes that i read in so many papers that i've read is the wounding that we've had from the sense of condemnation that we've experienced and not free to come into the light with the fractures of the soul but the kingdom of god is a kingdom of love and when i say that i want to be clear that The kind of love of the kingdom is different, perhaps, than the way love is often conceived of in 2019 in American culture, because love conceived of in our time today, I don't know what your experience is, but it so often is synonymous with words like approval, or tolerance, or acceptance, or what works for you, works for you, do the loving thing, which mostly just means live and let live, doesn't it? That would be the loving thing. But I think what we're experiencing, and we talk about this in my classroom so often, is we're experiencing a very understandable pendulum swing (laughs) away from a very heavy-handed dogmatic approach to the faith that many of us might have experienced in kingdom communities and so we don't want to be judged in that way we don't want to be uh, treated with a heavy hand in the fractures of our soul and so the pendulum swings from over here uh, to all the way over here and then just saying wow well, just live it and let live who are we to say you know it's interesting in the text um, when it says when jesus says do not judge When he says that, uh, he's referencing a form of judgment that uh, Christians are never called to do. But let me just say this, and then I'll define it a little bit better. I hope I am the most judgmental person that you will ever meet. And I also hope I'm the least judgmental person that you'll ever meet. Because there's two forms of judgment in the text. There's one form that Jesus says we're never to do. And when he says, do not judge, he says, don't ever do this. There's a judgment that's a form of condemnation. That means that this is who you are as a sinner and an outcast, and this is who you will ever be. There is no hope or no future. You do not belong in my kingdom. And Jesus says, don't you dare ever judge somebody in that way. Because regardless of past and present, there is always hope and future in my kingdom. Don't you dare ever judge somebody that way. And that's why I am at the woman of the well. And that's why I pursued Hagar. And that's why I pursue you even while you were clicking on the link. There's another form of judgment he says we are called to, and it's a judgment of discernment. It's a judgment of that which is whole and that which is good and that which is consistent with the ways of God's delight, I'm trying to figure out what those things are and to avoid the evil of this world. We are called I hope I'm the most judgmental person in the world, that in this journey of pursuing the kingdom of God, I can discern rightly with all of you what the realities of his beautiful kingdom are meant to be, and then bend the arc of my life towards that. And as for change and formation and all of the things and the fractures, that they would become realigned to be consistent with the kingdom god's mysterious though real interactions with us i want to be the most judgmental person possible because it's what's good for me it's what'll bring peace and wholeness in ways that clicking on those links never did or trying to figure out my identity statements never did but i also hope i'm the least judgmental person you'll ever meet that you could come and say anything to me anything anything about the fractures of the soul and you would experience somebody who loves you who believes there's future and hope Because the love of the kingdom in the Bible is not the love of tolerance and acceptance and live and let live. The love of the Old Testament God is the word ahava. And what it means is a tender affection towards somebody that has a vehement inclination of the mind to move towards them. It is a tender affection. God's love is a tender affection that has a vehement inclination of the mind to move towards them. And when you combine that with the New Testament idea of love, of agape, if you've heard that term before, of agape, which you're willing to give of yourself fully so another person can be made whole. I hope that what's true of me and true of us, and I hope it's true of a kingdom community in which you can walk at some point in your journey, is you experience God and the people around you as affectionate for you and tenderhearted for you and with a vehement inclination of the mind that are willing to give everything up so that you can be whole. Can you imagine a church community like that? where you walked in and everybody was so totally for you and not through gritted teeth, right? So much of our Christian love is through gritted teeth, I think, okay? I mean, I see Nolan up here and you're in my class and you, you know, I I, expe- I love you through gritted teeth. I don't really like you. Uh, and so, so I know I'm supposed to though, I'm supposed to do the Christian good thing. So like, I see Nolan and he drives me wild, but I'm like, oh, Nolan, what can I do for you? Oh, please tell me nothing, you know, right? So this is, but what, what would it mean to have a consistency where when I see Nolan, I'm like, wow, And there's a tender affection because did you know that yes of course theologically god has to love you but did you know that he liked you did you know that he actually wants to be in your presence and not when it's all cleaned up because it was while we were yet sinners right (laughs) there's like let me do something about this let me come into the midst of this because ahava is a tender affectionate god who actually likes you when jesus was on the cross and he says those beautiful words father forgive them i don't think he was doing the christian duty thing in that moment He's got a spear jammed in his side. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's been spat upon. He's been persecuted. He is a victim of profound injustice. There was nothing just about what was happening on that cross. And yet somehow he looked over the people that were doing this very stuff to him. And I'm guessing he didn't say, well, you know, I am the son of God and I do know the biblical text. So I guess I'm supposed to forgive him, but I don't really want to. But from his soul, he was like, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Because it's a love of tender affection that's willing to give everything up so that they can be whole. That kind of forgiveness is some of the deeper magic from before the dawn of time, right? To use the Narnia words, something we hardly ever experience. But it's delightful when we do. Because I know when people are so for me and they actually like me, anybody know what perfect love does in the biblical text? Perfect love does what? It casts out. Wouldn't it be amazing to be in a place where you don't have to be afraid? That if all of the darkness of the soul, if all of the attractions you're experiencing, if all of the wondering that you've had, if all of the questions that are there, if people knew your past and your present, that you could bring it out into the light. Not so that we could live and let live, but that maybe we could together bend the arc of our lives towards the wholeness of the kingdom and experience the peace and joy that God has for us in those places where we're totally for one another. I would love to walk in a community like that. And sometimes we taste it, right? Sometimes we know those people whose eyes twinkle in delight when we come into the room. And we're not being used as an agenda. We're not being reduced down to our utility. We're not being seen as a giving unit in a church. For the possibility of what you can do. But to walk out this kingdom journey in love together. Because the God of the kingdom is for us and will never stop. So what i would suggest to you and justin and i've talked a lot about this kind of thing is what does it mean to maybe at least while you're here at northwestern taste the kind of community in which the people that are you with and that you're walking with and all of these tricky topics that we form the kind of vibe here in which you know people are for you and you for me and that we actually begin to take delight in each other and that we can cast out the fear in which we so live. And so my words for you this morning are along these lines. I'm guessing that for many of you who have gone too far, you don't want to come into the light. For many of you that don't know what to do with the attractions that you have or those around you and don't want to come into the light, or those of you that have clicked on links in the last 12 hours or have way too many partners in your past or missed the mark in your sexualities, being wounded in this, there's what I want you to know, that you and me, and never forget this. I promise you, I have less years on this earth than most of you. And I want you to carry this on. That you and me are sinners in the hands of an affectionate God. You are sinners in the hands of an affectionate God. God is not here to make sure that we can prove something about his glory as if he is insecure. God gave up all of his glory. And he took on the form of human flesh. And being made in human likeness, he suffered it all so that we could be made whole. We are sinners in the hands of an affectionate God. With a love that casts out fear, and we can come into the light and be made whole in all of these places of our sexuality. So I promise for all of you, because there is a tomb that is empty, even death has been beaten, and there's always future, and there's always hope. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you stand as we close? And again, the invitation is extended. You can all come over tonight. Just don't bring Hershey's. Love to see all of you. But just take a minute and just receive a blessing that, God, I ask that with your beautiful voice of your kingdom that you would whisper across the souls of everybody in here the deep, tender affection you have for them and that we can increasingly shine a light in this world as a kingdom community of the love that you had and the wholeness that we can increasingly be and become. Thank you for these lovely students, and bless them by the power of your spirit.